you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. I never have. I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners, and I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Pain Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board Bowl Betting Bonanza, year two of our second annual bowl breakdowns. Of course, we let all the little fish uh, get their six and six, five and seven bowl games out of the way. We'll attack the biggest games left on the board. I am your host, Todd Furman, joined as always by Payne Insider. Payne, are you going to be ready to try and transition from the professional ranks to amateur for us? NFL is my baby, but so far the last month or so, uh, thank God for college football. We've really turned it around. I know me and you are doing quite well, and our uh, our guest on the show has been absolutely killing it this season. So I think we should be able to churn out a few winners for the loyal listeners. Well, you mentioned a guest, and because we didn't want to have to do all the heavy lifting ourselves, and people had such rave reviews about what he did last year, and a man flirting with a season-long win percentage at 60%, we'll welcome in Clay Travis. For those folks not familiar with Clay's great work, you can check him out at OutkickTheCoverage.com, a new morning radio show from 6 to 9 Eastern on your Fox affiliates, both far and wide, and and Clay, we just want to know uh, what's triggered this, you know, tremendous run into college football. We're going to have to start putting you up there amongst the biggest names when it comes to handicapping games. Well, last year I was sixty percent. This year I'm fifty-eight percent, and I attributed it all to the tutelage of Todd Furman. Um, and in all honesty, I think what I love about betting on college football is oftentimes it's psychological, and so much of it has to do with coaching. And I watch a lot of college football games. I mean, you know, a lot more than the vast majority of people. And I feel like I understand not only what the game, my favorite thing to bet is actually over on, because I feel like I'm better at predicting how a game is going to be played than maybe who's going to win. You know, just knowing the style of game, knowing how two head coaches are going to match up, all those things. So uh, I would say that I tend to do better with over-unders, but uh, but I just absolutely love uh, college football games. And I do a lot of them, you know, like 14 or 15 picks a week. Like I'm <laughs> sitting at four or five games. Uh, so I, I bet on a lot of these games, and, uh, and I bet on a lot of these bowl games as well. 
Yeah, the volume approach, a little bit different than what Payne and I typically employ for the NFL. But when you look at the difference, Payne, in handicapping the NFL to college, I mean, what are some of the th biggest things that jump off the page at you who's established such a track record in the professional ranks? Well, for me, college football, specifically this time of year when you're talking bowl games, it's all about who wants to be there. You can throw a lot of the metrics we look at each and every week out the window. We've seen that already with some of these lesser bowls just yesterday. Minnesota winning outright, caught money from professionals at 10.5, closed 8, 8.5. We saw Baylor do the same thing. North Texas gave it a real fight. And Wake Forest again yesterday. If you read any of the press clippings there in that game, Wake Forest was treating that like their Super Bowl. They felt betrayed uh, when all their plays were basically divulged to the opposing opponents, and they came out with their hair on fire, did enough to hold on. And so when you're getting 13.5-point underdogs, really battling and fighting. It's due to them wanting to be there and the opposing team not playing for much. So this time of year, it is vital to do your reading. Yeah, and it should be interesting to see how all this unfolds, of course, with the New York Six. Motivation shouldn't be a massive factor, although there is one game that jumps off the page with two teams playing for something very different, uh, in my opinion. And of course, we'll get your thoughts, both Payne and Clay, uh, on that particular game. Before we get into the games themselves, though, Clay, wanted to get your take. One of the biggest arguments this season has been talking about conference strength top to bottom and there for me in my opinion there are three leagues that have really distanced themselves from everybody else uh we can listen to the joel Klatz of the world look to defend the pac-12 but for me they're clearly fourth it's a three-horse race and it's the sec acc and big 10 clay you mentioned coaching earlier and i don't think anybody out there's a college football fan will say anything to the contrary that the big 10 has probably has the best coaches from top to bottom but can we make the case that the ACC might be the best league going, uh, given the SEC really being down behind the likes of LSU and Alabama? Yeah, I think we'll get a couple of early tests on that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with Arkansas and Virginia Tech. I'm curious to see what happens, um, you know, with, with a couple of those games, LSU-Louisville. Um, because, uh, yeah, look, I think you can certainly argue Kentucky-Georgia Tech. I mean, there's a decent number of SEC versus ACC matchups, and it used to be, SEC versus Penn was all the time. But, I, you know, I, I made this argument with Bobby Petrino, let's say, at Louisville. I think when Lamar Jackson leaves and goes pro at the end of next year, there are a lot of SEC East jobs that could be coming open, a lot of SEC jobs in general. If you look at the division that Bobby Petrino is coaching in right now, Jimbo uh, himself and Dabo right now, right? In the, I think it always get them crossed over. I think that's the ACC Atlantic. Um, and it's better by far than the SEC East. All three of those guys would be head and shoulders above every other coach in the SEC East. I think coaching certainly has come into play there at a high level. Uh, you toss in Larry Fedora, Justin Fuente. I think you can make the argument that the ACC has better football coaches right now potentially than the SEC does. Well, you mentioned Petrino, and not to spend too much time on this, how seriously will he be considered for every – job opening in the sec given what transpired at arkansas or just because it means more in the sec that hey, hey all those past transgressions if you can win us 10 games a season and compete for a division title and ultimately a national title uh we'll forget everything that's happened in the past it depends on the athletic director it depends on the school president to a certain extent i think what you find very quickly is if you can handle the slings and arrows of derision that are going to come your way for a very short amount of time, you make a hire like that. And look, Louisville got crushed when they went and hired Bobby Petrino after he'd only spent a year pooling at fields at Western Kentucky. But as soon as he starts winning, nobody questions it at all. And uh, especially when it's something that is of a personal transgression of nature like that, like having an affair, something nefarious that happened off the field that wasn't related directly to wins and losses. 
think you can almost always get a justification there with personal failing, not a program failing, and personal failings are easy for guys to back from when they can win nine games a year. Yeah, it's one of those things right now. <laughs> One of those things right now in the college football landscape, you talk about uh, the coach and some of their behavior off the field. Obviously, much bigger issues with the unfortunate stuff that we've seen take place at Baylor, amongst other schools, and even Minnesota. We talked about winning their bowl game, uh, you know, sexual assault and player misconduct. If the players, if the coaches can rein in their players, uh, I think that may be a bigger deal than some of their behavior when we're talking off the field. Um, with that aside, guys, may as well jump in right into the meat and potatoes of some of the biggest games. And, of course, all these numbers brought to you courtesy of Bet Online. If you haven't checked out that fine sportsbook, some of the best numbers and earliest prices available, rebat functionality will get you to the window with some large limits if you want to try and move money into the market like one Clay Travis. Payne, we may as well start with a uh, school near and dear to you. On Friday, December 30th, Florida State Seminoles uh, at Miami Gardens taking on the Michigan Wolverines see themselves as a seven-point underdog. You have seen some money come in on the total in this game, 55 down to 52.5. Florida State, I think, you know, one of those teams who's flown under the radar, maybe a top-five team going into next season, will get the luxury of matching up with a pro-style offense, something that may be b- better suited for their defense uh, than taking on mobile quarterbacks that really gave them problems uh, for much of the season. I think this is probably one of the more intriguing games of bowl season. Uh, And I'll tell you this, when I said earlier in the podcast where you throw metrics out the window this time of year, I could have grabbed seven and a half, chose not to. My number on this game is literally Michigan minus two and a half. And there's a five-point discrepancy through the three and the seven, and that's usually an auto bet, especially this late in the season. But bowl games are just a little bit different. Where this game, I think, is won or lost is can FSU protect up front? Uh, this is the largest discrepancy in, I think, the second largest discrepancy in all of the college bowls right now. Florida State's offensive line, 105th in the country, allowing sacks on 10% of dropbacks. And you look at the flip side, Michigan gets after the quarterback, number two in the country. Uh, they get after the quarterback on dropback 16% of the time. So can they keep Francois upright? That's going to be the key here. One thing I will say in Florida State's defense, there was a huge adjustment After the North Carolina game, Charles Kelly decided to go from a zone to a man. You recruit all these four- and five-star guys, and you have them playing zone. It's just not going to work. So since that time, the last seven games, Florida State went to a man. They're allowing 16 points per game over that stretch, and I think they had the one questionable loss to Clemson, uh, where a lot of people say the refs kind of got involved there. So Florida State hot right now down the stretch. And you you mentioned Michigan, number two in the country in sacks. They're second behind only the Florida State Seminoles. So it'll be interesting to see if Jimbo's defense can bring pressure and make things difficult for Wilton Spate. Clay, you talk about coaching and how big a role it plays. There's no one better than what Coach Harbaugh has done in Ann Arbor, restoring the maize and blue to their prominent place amongst college football blue bloods. You, of course, have a little bit of familial interest in this football game as well, knowing your ties to Michigan. But what have you seen from these two teams, especially down the stretch, uh, that's led you one way or another in this handicap? I love the under. Uh, and I bet this at 54. Uh, you said it's now down to 52 and a half. And, I, and when I looked at this matchup, to me, the way Michigan's defense has played down the stretch, you can rely on them not giving up more than 20 points. And you hit on the, the transition that I think the market's been a little bit slow to pick up on with Florida State. Their defense has gotten a lot better as the season has gone along, too. Early in the year, they were a mess. Uh, later in the season, they played really well. I think with the layoff and everything else, the timing being off, I don't see either one of these teams scoring more than So 
I think it's going to be low scoring. I think there will be a lot of defensive playmaking here. The only way I see a lot of points being scored, frankly, is if one of these defenses turns the ball over and is able to score defensively because I just don't see the offenses putting up big numbers. To me, the under is the play here, and, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a winner by a substantial margin. Payne, when we look at this game as far as line moving, you talked about your power numbers having Michigan only a modest two-and-a-half point favor, but the market holding seven. Uh, where do we think this price goes? Safe to assume the professional money will take it off the key number of seven? <sighs> Tough to say. I mean, it's it's been there. There's been seven-and-a-half and eight. There was some appetite at those numbers. Uh, you're getting 50-50 action right now, so it'll be interesting to see where this line heads. I think, obviously... The only way it comes off the seven or goes a much higher is if there is some sharp sentiment for a specific side here. But I think you guys kind of landed on the correct decision here. Delvin Cook is going to play. It'll be interesting to see how many snaps he does get. This is a big game for Florida State in terms of recruiting. They're battling for a couple uh, key position players when it comes to the recruits. Uh, for me, as you guys alluded to, I think under makes the most sense. Just feels very awkward here being able to get this much. And I know, Todd, me and you have kind of had a much different sentiment on Michigan in their power numbers compared to the rest of the country. Yeah, that's for sure. I think they've been a little bit overvalued. And you watch them in the Big Ten where they haven't had to defend athletes in space the same way they will against Florida State so I'm curious to see the adjustment that being said I thought Michigan might struggle a year ago in their bowl game and they found a way to slow down Florida albeit Florida State uh, much more dynamic and moving to football and you'd have to think that DeAndre Francois the healthiest he's been all season you mentioned Delvin Cook getting him the ball it'll be fascinating to see what unfolds here one thing to keep in mind too when you handicap these bowls not so much for you guys but everyone else uh, pay attention to the surface we see all the time bowl games and artificial turf uh, a lot of these games will be slower. Uh, I think when you talk about Hard Rock Stadium on natural grass, uh, that this game could be played more to Michigan's pace and tempo as far as foot speed's concerned. Uh, so Clay makes a case for the under, and Payne, we think we could see a little bit of money on the underdog. Motivation, uh, you guys hit on it, motivation and coaching, two big factors that go into prepping for bowl games. I think this is the one New Year's Six bowl game where you're going to have very different motivation between two sides. Wisconsin and Western Michigan, uh, that game will be on January 2nd at the Cotton Bowl. You're looking at Wisconsin, a 7.5-point favorite against the Broncos. Total on this game, 52.5 as well. I think the biggest story leading up to this game is not the fact that these two teams are here. The man walking the sidelines wearing Western Michigan brown and gold will still be P.J. Fleck, one of the hottest names in the business that a lot of us expected to go different places. We've seen the Max struggle early on. I think Western Michigan hasn't really been battle-tested in conference. They do have their two early Big Ten wins against Northwest. Illinois, both games on the road. Interesting note in this one, guys, yard differential versus bowl teams and strength of schedule plays a role. Wisconsin, a modest plus 27 yards in that department. Western Michigan, plus 97. But, Clay, can we make the case that as a Big Ten team, Wisconsin beating Western Michigan, uh, they really won't care nearly as much, and we might have a Nick Saban-type situation brewing. When you play a second-tier team in a big bowl game, you may not bring your A-type effort. Yeah, especially because Wisconsin's got to be crushed after giving up that 21-point lead in the Big Ten title game, uh, where uh, worst-case scenario they'd be playing right now in the Rose Bowl. Having said that, Wisconsin's been an intriguing team to me all year because early on I was riding them on the under. And then about uh, seven or eight weeks into the season, their offense suddenly saw the light and the market had caught up the fact that their unders were there. But then you started to be able to play the overs, and they've scored a lot of points from there on out and also given up a decent amount of points and so i'm intrigued a little bit when i look at that 52 and a half to me the play and I, I haven't played this one yet but the thing that i like the best is probably the over uh because 
If, uh, if the Mac doesn't show up very well, you know Wisconsin has now shown the ability to hang 30 on anybody. Uh, if they're not that motivated, they might show up and not. Again, motivation matters here. A lot of times I think motivation shows up on the defensive side of the ball. You give up more points than you otherwise might have. You're not that concerned about getting the stop in the same fashion. Uh, you're not down in the dirt like you ordinarily would be. And so to me, the number that jumps out there is I kind of like the over there. I, I think that Wisconsin could show up and score some points, but also – not be that plugged in defensively and give up quite a few to like Western Michigan as well. And hearing you talk, hearing you talk about undervalued and overvalued, Clay, warms my heart that you've really come a long way in your handicapping pedigree Stinkly. using the you know, industry lingo and everything else, and you're exactly right. Wisconsin, going back to their game against Illinois, has played four straight games over the total since November 12th. Payne, you look at Western Michigan on the other side. The MAC has struggled from top to bottom. I know this team is clearly a cut above everybody else in the league. PJ Fleck and his rah-rah can only get them so far. But you brought up an interesting point when this bowl matchup was announced to me, talking about Western Michigan, if they were to handpick a team from a Power 5 conference that they would want to see on this stage, there might not be a better opponent for them to go head-to-head with than the Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah, this isn't a Western Michigan team that's going to get completely dominated in terms of being out-athleted here. This probably is one that they would handpick, and I think a lot of motivation and a lot of just kind of sigh of relief for all these players is P.J. Flex back. It's kind of, when you do your reading in this game, they've really loved the fact that he's stuck with them, and they want to deliver a bowl win here. Wisconsin, as you both alluded to, what's the motivation here? Could have been Rose Bowl. You surrender a huge lead. I made this game six, so when you can get eight, eight and a half, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, when you look at what Wisconsin has done, I know you guys alluded to a lot of points, but I will say this. You know, you've played Illinois and you've played Purdue, and I think basically the tempo and pace of the game getting far behind PSU really dictated that one going over, plus a fast track at Lucas Oil. So this one will be interesting to see. But I do think there's advantages for both teams. Wisconsin will be able to run the ball a little bit here, I think, on Western Michigan. Western Michigan is going to have to attack offensively. That's secondary for Wisconsin. We've talked about it all year. It is not very good. It is the Achilles heel of that defense. So uh, I think if you can get Western Michigan making some plays in space, the over does make a lot of sense. One thing I'll say for folks not all that familiar with Western Michigan, the player to keep your eye on will be their NFL caliber wide receiver, Corey Davis. I won't quite go as far as saying he's had the same impact on this conference that Randy Moss had at Marshall way back when. I know Moss played a lot of his games at the FCS level. Uh, But this kid really is a truly special talent. And if Zach Terrell can find him in space, this might be one of the best wide receivers that Wisconsin has faced in quite some time. Just not sure how they'll hold up in the trenches for the better part of four quarters. We'll add one thing. Uh, overwhelming public support for Wisconsin in this particular game. Three out of every four tickets coming in on the Badgers. And fully expect in the standalone time slot on January 2nd that we're going to continue to see that trend emerge. Um, so now that this number is in the dead zone, maybe we do see it. It trended a bit higher, but I would be absolutely shocked to not only see this number dip below 7, but to climb as high as 10 uh, for these two teams. Now, a a game that I think will probably get a lot more casual fan involvement, the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, one of the toughest tickets to get uh, outside the college football playoff if you go off StubHub's prices in a game I encourage everybody to get to. At some point in their life, regardless of the teams playing here i know clay you have a a vested interest so to speak in penn state and their performance against usc but two of the hottest teams in the country going head to head we're looking at usc a six and a half point favorite at bet online total of this 
at this game at 60. For me, when I handicap bowl games, I look to try and find teams that have limped to the finish because they're undervalued. These two teams have been absolutely white hot. And when we look at their full body of work, I guess the biggest question is who played a tougher schedule down the stretch, USC going through the Pac-12 or Penn State knocking off Wisconsin to be Big Ten champions? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt at all that this is a fascinating game. And to me, this is where I like to take advantage of what I see as opposed to what the numbers, I think, on the side of you guys expect to see. And what I see in Penn State, and I've been playing them for a while now, is a team that completely found itself against Ohio State and has scored and scored and scored some more. And so I love the over in this game, and I understand people who argue otherwise, but I love the over in this game. And I like Penn State. And the reason why I like the over, uh, Penn State has scored 38 or more points in every game since Ohio State. They played some good teams. Uh, they did it against Iowa. They did it against Wisconsin. They did it against Michigan State, who was playing well down the stretch. I just think that Penn State is going to score points in this game. And I also think that USC is going to really come out with Sam Darnold and continue to do what they do, which is be really explosive with the ball. Uh, I love Sam Darnold, that quarterback. He reminds me of a young Andrew Luck. So I think this is going to be a really entertaining Rose Bowl. I think a lot of points will be scored. I like the over, and I like Penn State with points. Again, at seven, seven and a half, I like both sides there. Payne, you know, we talk about some of the matchups in this, and typically power numbers will tell one thing or another. Clay mentions how hot both these teams have been. USC, six straight wins and covers against the spread, but that pales in comparison to what Penn State's been able to do, rattling off nine straight successes against the number. You have to go all the way back to October 1st, the last time they failed a game against Minnesota where they won 29-26 but didn't cover as three-and-a-half-point favorites. Is there any value to be found, or do we feel odds makers have hung the perfect number for good two-way action uh, with this number sitting at six-and-a-hook? That's the big question mark here. I can tell you I made the game five, so from a numbers perspective, shockingly, uh, some value here on Penn State. I, I kind of agree with Clay Sentiments there. Looking to the over in this game, USC is really projected nicely with the change at quarterback. And Penn State, it looks like, you know, Saquon Barkley, we thought would be a little banged up for the uh, championship game. Ankle seemed to be fine. I did some reading there. He has said he's the healthiest he's been all season. So when you can get Saquon Barkley involved in this offense at 100%, it really takes them to the next level. The big question mark here is, in the trenches, Penn State's offensive line, not the best. And we saw when when they've had some injuries, and they do have some injuries coming into this one, uh, they've been dominated up front. We saw an Indiana team get to them and get to their quarterback early and often. USC should have the advantage with their defensive line in that regard. So that's going to be the big matchup in this game. Clay, when we look at coaching here, James Franklin, a little bit more experienced than Clay Helton. Do we give the edge to Penn State in that regard? I think probably so. I think also this is where you can factor in how teams have played in bowl games. And uh, by and large, I think when Franklin has had a good season, he's been able to ride the hype into a pretty good performance. I mean, Vanderbilt, two consecutive seasons, went eight wins into the bowl game and won uh, with time to prepare. Uh, so I think they'll play really well. I'm not sure they win because, again, I think SC is the better team. But I think it's going to be really entertaining. And if I had to choose between pit betting on one side, I know some people don't like to bet both sides. They're trying to like I would take the over, um, over uh, overtaking Penn State. I like both those bets. I made both of them. I got Penn State. I think it came out at like seven and a half. I have to go back and check exactly what I got it at, but I bet it as soon as it came out. Big number. And then I think the number on the over has actually come down because I went back in and bet it again. I tend to be, at this point in time, 
uh, I like something, I, I tend to not worry if the market moves against me, uh, if it's not moving prohibitively, and there's not some major story out there that I don't know. Um, and I tend to go back in and bet it again. So I think I got this one at 62, and I'm betting it again. If it's down to 60, I bet it again here recently. Yeah, number as you said, as you said, the total has come down a couple of points there, and it was seven and a half at some offshores initially when that price came out. And for folks that are headed out to the desert, you can shop around and find seven if you like the dog. You have, you do have the chance to lay six on USC if you like the favorite. One last thing on Franklin Clay, and I'm not sure if you have a chance to speak with him throughout the season. Has he been at all? Do you think he's been at all surprised at how Steve well Clay. this Penn State team has played? Kind of feels like they're a year ahead of schedule with Trey McSorley and company. Not expected to really burst onto the scene until 2017 well I, I think in general what's amazing about college football is you can go from a guy who is potentially on the hot seat remember the president of the university had to come out and endorse an athletic director in the wake of defeat against michigan when they fell to i think two and two uh there in september and they lost 49 to 10 or whatever it was and all of the you know immediate talk was he's done to beating Ohio State and getting on the run that he's gotten on winning the Big Ten. Now there's a multi-year contract extension on his desk. And I saw the offshore have, uh, have him as a potential candidate at, at Buffalo at Phil. Um, so it's amazing how quickly you can go from idiot to a genius and back over the course of a college football season. You know, and that win, and I, and I said at the time, my wife was up there. She's friends with, uh, with Franklin's wife. They were up there. Uh, she was up there for the game. And when she came back after they stormed the field and everything else, I said, you know, that that win, now it's not an exaggeration, that win over Ohio State probably worth $40 million to James Franklin. Not even kidding, you know, in terms of his long-range career impact, in terms of the guarantee that he's going to get from Penn State uh, to continue there, and uh, and everything changed. And I think that's why college football is a lot of fun to bet, because you can get teams that are on a run, and so much of it, I really do believe so much of college football, because the kids are so young, they're not professionals, so much of what they do is momentum-based, right? Like, it goes from we're unstoppable to we're the worst team ever. And back <laughs> again, just like the, the, the amount of emotional impact that a game can have, it's that I like betting because you can kind of figure out how those coaches, I think, they, the guys are so malleable and young, and the coaches can kind of get in their brains and figure out a way uh, to motivate him. And I think Franklin's really good at that. Uh, I think he's really good at convincing guys that uh, that nobody believes in him and that uh, that they're the underdog. And, and to his credit, I mean, man, what a run they got on. Yeah. And you mentioned the potential worth of about $40 million. Let that be a lesson to any high school, college, or professional coaches that are listening. It's incentive enough to be strong in the kicking game because it was special teams on that fateful night in Happy Valley that turned around the fortunes of Penn State season, leading them to this particular juncture. Uh, and two teams who kind of finished in very different fashions in the other New Year's Six Bowl game. Of course, we'll get to the college football playoff games in greater detail at the end of the podcast. Auburn and Oklahoma, we've seen some major movement on this particular game with Oklahoma opening as a six-point favorite. Number all the way down to three. Auburn losers of two of their final three games after peaking at the end of November. You look at Oklahoma, they ran ramp shot throughout the course of conference play, going undefeated in the Big 12, 9-0, winning a conference championship yet again. Of course, Auburn dealing with some injuries to key contributors down the stretch, Sean White and Cameron Petway, just to name a few. And Oklahoma dealing with a litany of off-field issues more so than anything else 
Payne, when we look at this game, first things first, are you on board with this move at bet online from six all the way down to three? Total on this game, 62 and a half. And I guess the follow-up question, do we think this number continues to move further in Auburn's direction, or do we see the market correct itself a little bit with some Oklahoma money finally entering the picture? Uh, not only do I agree, I'm involved here. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite bowl games of the season. Grab some stick six. Still think there's some value left at three. Uh, made it pick. Uh, one of the larger discrepancy games in bowl seasons in terms of defense. Uh, the Tigers come in here seventh in defensive efficiency. And I think, as you alluded to, there's some value on Auburn. Because you lose two of three down the stretch, it's created some opportunity to factor in Sean White being out or a shell of himself late in the season. Petaway dealing with the hamstring injury. Both are going to be healthy here. And you talked about those off-field uh, you know, question marks for Oklahoma. And I think the big thing here is their defense I think Auburn's going to be able to do enough. Gus Malzahn needs this game like blood. He's going to come up with a game plan that gets them going on the game, on the ground. Play a little of that keep-away style that keeps Oklahoma's strong offense off the field. So I like Auburn here. I think this game does trend closer to pick them. Uh, and if we believe it all in conference supremacy one way or another, take this trend for what it's worth. The last 16 times we've seen Big 12 match up against the SEC. SEC 14 and two against the spread. One of those failures, of course, came when Bob Stoops and company uh, upset. And was it Alabama? Was it Alabama? Sorry, a 17 point underdog. Uh, we see Nick Saban kind of mail in some of those bowl games that are not playing for national championship. Clay, I know you probably watch Auburn more than both Payne and myself combined. Uh, what do you make of this particular game, line movement side, and where these two teams are at as they head into the postseason? Yeah, so I'm on the opposite side here. I took Oklahoma, and uh, to me, and now I'm a little bit nervous about everything that kind of spiraled out of the Joe Mixon story. How much of a distraction has that been? How much of an impact will it have? Auburn, to their credit, has been totally under the radar. I feel like most people have they're even there. Uh, one of many teams in the F that finished with four losses. Uh, but the, uh, this is, the, again, a game that Bob Stoops just puts everything into. I don't know what it is about the SEC and for Bob Stoops, but I feel like he validates his program's performance based on how they do against SEC teams. So I think that they will find a way to win this game. So I bet Oklahoma, uh, I, I got him. I'm looking right now at three and a half, an ideal number given the fact that he's down to three. Uh, but I just feel like Oklahoma and Bob Stoops are going to have some success. Auburn, I'm not convinced. Uh, defensively, I think they're okay. Offensively, they've been totally an, an enigmatic team. And, uh, you know, I didn't play the over here, uh, but a part of me thinks the over might be play. I, I don't think that Auburn will come out and shut down Oklahoma, and that's why I took Oklahoma to win the game. Clay, is there any pressure on Gus Malzahn to win this bowl game? I know he kind of got himself off the hot seat uh, with the way Auburn played, largely through the month of November, as we mentioned, struggled to the finish. Uh, but is there pressure on him to win this bowl game and kind of build a little bit of momentum heading into 2017, or have uh, some of the boo birds subsided down there on the plains? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt at all that there's tremendous pressure to win this. Um, look, I mean, I think that, uh, that that when you go into the SEC next year, Gus Malzahn, Brett Bielma, Butch Jones, um, uh, and all those guys, Kevin Sumlin, all four of those guys are in substantial peril as to whether or not they will be back. And that's a lot of money being paid and everybody else. But if, if Gus Malzahn won this game and won the uh, Sugar Bowl, don't underrate the impact that winning the Sugar Bowl has for old-school SEC football fans. makes it seem like it's a valedictory to a season that maybe wasn't that good. Especially also remember that it's not just how Auburn does. It's how Auburn is doing in relation to Nick Saban in Alabama. If Nick Saban and Alabama go out and they go 15-0 and they win the national championship and 
Auburn goes out and puts Bunker against Oklahoma, they're in real serious uh, jeopardy as they come back in, as all those coaches that I are uh, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at A&M, and at Auburn. I think there are a lot of people in all those camps who believe that they don't have the right coach to win at Iowa. It should be an interesting game. You guys talk making compelling cases for, for opposite sides in this particular game. Obviously, a very different handicap if you have a chance to lay three with Oklahoma now uh, versus taking Auburn plus six at the top of the market. And I think we'll begin to read more into players' comments and quotes. Uh, Clay, you mentioned Stoops and the kind of validation he puts on his program, uh, holding serve against the SEC pain. You mentioned Auburn. Uh, and their ability as far as some of the metrics to potentially slow down Baker Mayfield and the top-rated pass efficiency offense in the entire country, I, I think, along with USC and Penn State. And I guess FSU, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Western Michigan, I'll put at the bottom of the barrel, uh, should be some great games to watch as we talk about those New Year's Six games that don't have national championship implications. Uh, for those folks not familiar with the voices you're hearing, that's one of Clay Travis. You can follow him on Twitter, at Clay Travis. Pain Insider of Bet the Board fame. You can follow him on social media as well, at Pain Insider. I, of course, am Todd Furman. Encourage you folks, as always, I know we're a little bit out of our comfort zone covering college football, uh, but for all things NFL, at Bet the Board on Twitter, and of course, BetTheBoardPodcast.com. Guys, a little bit of rapid fire. Highlighted five other games uh, that I think will be interesting to get your respective take on, and if we want to alternate, uh, Clay, we'll let you jump in here first with LSU taking on Louisville in the Russell Athletic Bowl. I'll make the case that this is probably the best bowl game on paper outside of any of the New Year's six games. LSU, a three-point favorite at bet online. Total on this game, 59.5. Of course, the biggest matchup to watch here, maybe Coach O and Bobby Petrino on the sidelines, but of course, the Heisman Trophy winner and Lamar Jackson taking on that vaunted LSU defensive line. Yeah, I love LSU minus three here Stinkin. and the over. Um, I, I think you look at what uh, happened to Louisville down the stretch. They've been exposed defensively. Their offensive line has been exposed. I, I think they're able to score points, but I think that uh, that LSU is going to score 40 or more. I think that uh, that Louisville, Bobby Petrino, with time to prepare, will score 40 or more. So I love the over here, and I like LSU minus three. I'm playing both sides. Payne, do you think uh, LSU's offense will show a bit, a little, little bit of life here with some extra time to prepare? They've certainly gone a little bit more up tempo under Coach O. How successful have they been? You know, it's a little bit of a different story, but you could see an LSU A&M kind of part two. Um, we know about the offensive changes that are coming at LSU, uh, but they're also going to change their defense from a four-three to a three-four, and apparently they're not waiting until the off season. Did some reading on this. With 15 practices, uh, they're going to change to a 3-4-4, the Citrus Bowl. I'm not sure that's enough time, and so that kind of plays into Clay's hands in that that over. Um, just from like an NFL perspective, it takes two to three seasons to get the right players for a new scheme. Um, but I'll say this, when you go to a 3-4, it's supposed to be smaller, quicker, so that should certainly help some uh, against Louisville if uh, you know, they get the scheme change. Not sure they're going to be able to do that. I know a lot of people will ask this question about the Heisman curse, so we dug into this a little bit. Heisman winners, 28 and 28 all time in their bowl game straight up. Looking at our database since 1985, uh, there's the Heisman winners are 10 and 20 against the spread here. So again, that plays into uh, Clay's side with LSU as well. Interesting part, kind of building on that Heisman stuff, Payne. We've only seen since 1980, Heisman winning teams have only been underdogs five times. 
in in that stretch. You're talking about a significant sample size uh, for them to be dogs, typically the better team with the better player. In those five games, 0-5 straight up, 0-5 against the spread. So there's typically a reason that the Heisman Trophy winning team finds himself as an underdog. Uh, I would agree. I think uh, LSU, we could see some points for those adjustments that you talked about defensively that LSU will have to make. One thing to keep in mind as well, Louisville, they had no answer for Ed Oliver and company that fateful Thursday night against Houston. You'd have to think that LSU's defensive line can try and put pressure on the quarterback and force Lamar Jackson a bit out of his comfort zone. Payne, the Alamo Bowl, a game that I want to forget ever existed after what I was forced to endure live in the flesh last year when Oregon took on TCU. Oklahoma State and Colorado, you're looking at the Buffaloes, a three-point favorite as they break their massive bowl drought under Coach Mike McIntyre. We'll get Clay's thoughts on Coach Mack in just a second. Oklahoma State, two of their key contributors have said they will be back in Stillwater next season, Mason Rudolph and their leading receiver, James Washington. First off, how do we handicap defensive coordinator Jim Levitt leaving for Eugene, Oregon to join Willie Taggart's staff? Uh, and Colorado, you know, kind of finishing their regular season disappointing fashion against Washington. Do we think there'll be any lingering hangover effect there? I'm not sure that we see a lingering effect there. This is Colorado's first bowl game since 2007, and you crap the bed in the Pac-12 championship. Um, you also have some other things. This could be the fourth team in program history to win 11 games. Uh, and I think the one thing that you kind of mentioned there, Willie Taggart swooping in, taking the defensive coordinator in Levitt. I know the safeties coach. He knows the system well. He's going to take over that role, and I think that's probably where the edge lies for Colorado. They should be able to get a stop or two on the fast track. You look at the poke, 66% of their yards come through the air. That's the strength of Colorado's defense, fifth in the country. They allow 5.8 yards per pass attempt and just 48% of passes to be completed. Clay, I know all of our listeners may not be familiar, but maybe you want to uh... – Give a little background story about your ongoing relationship with the head football coach at Colorado. Well, he hung up on uh, on my show. I, I do a morning show for Fox Sports Radio, um, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. And uh, we had him on the show, I guess, about 10 days ago uh, or thereabouts. And, uh, and he, he just kind of flipped out on us. Um, and uh, I think it was, you know, again, Jim Levitt leaving uh, his uncertainty and, and disappointment there. But I was kind of blown away. I've never been hung up on by anybody other than my wife in the last decade. <laughs> uh, certainly haven't been hung up on on uh, on live radio. So uh, I was asking him about job interest, other places, and everything else. He just and uh, me, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of coaches that are good for where they are and not necessarily able or willing or could fit big markets. And to me, he's a perfect example of that. What uh, any strong opinions from either of you guys on this particular game, either side or total, perchance? I didn't bet it, um, and that was not because I got hung up on. It was because I, you know, before I got hung up on, I came out and did all my game uh, gambling. I, I just didn't like one side or the other here. For me, uh, you know, you look at this in, in Oklahoma State becoming the trendy public dog. You like to shy away from that most of the time. Did open two and a half. You're now to three. If there isn't a defensive lapse with the defensive coordinator leaving, I think Colorado would do enough to get a stop or two, and I think that might put them over the edge. Would have liked to have laid two and a half. Now at three, probably still some value when you look uh, at the huge defensive discrepancy between both these teams, but I haven't bet the game yet either. 
Gotcha. Another uh, game, well, I shouldn't say another, a game that'll pit a Big 12 team up against the SEC, TCU taking on Georgia. Uh, Two coaches who probably have to be pretty disappointed in the way their teams finish the season. This game will take place at the Liberty Bowl on Friday, December 30th. Uh, We'll call this game a pick at BetOnline. Total here, 48.5. Gary Patterson's team, Payne, I knew you weren't a fan of coming into the season, uh, and their body of work clearly supported the fact you thought the Horned Frogs would take a step back. Kirby Smart, I'm not really sure what to make uh, of his maiden voyage trying to handle life as the head coach down there in Athens. I I'm, did some reading on this one. It's pretty simple. It's going to be one up front. Georgia's offensive line has been an issue all season. They do get potentially their left tackle back, which could be huge. TCU's run defense, when you look at what they've done, they've given up almost 900 yards on the ground the last three games. Who's going to win that battle? You know I'm not a Kenny Hill fan. I think most guys at this point aren't. Uh, he's dealing with an ankle injury. And from a defensive perspective, Georgia does so much scheme-wise that I like. They confuse the opposing quarterback, and they lead the SEC in interceptions. We know Kenny makes some questionable decisions. Uh, so I think that's where this game will lie. It feels way too easy to take Georgia here, though. So that that's leaving me uh, not so warm and tingly. Uh, the one question I'll have here about Georgia's defense, is it a byproduct of the quarterbacks they've faced? And I think that is probably true here. Uh, Gary Patterson has won eight out of his last ten bowl games. So I think there's a massive coaching advantage here for TCU, and that's probably going to keep me on the sidelines. Clay, uh, how do Georgia fans view the first season under Kirby Smart? Success, failure? Are they unhappy with the way Jacob Eason uh, has kind of developed under center? Do they think this could validate things and really get them headed in the right direction for next season? I don't think they're really really that worried about this game. I think they're looking at the recruiting class. And uh, Kirby Smart, to his credit, while the the on-the-field results haven't been great, he's recruited really well. And so I think they look at it and say, look, Nick Saban went 7-6 and his first year. Uh, with Alabama next year, they were contending for a championship. Uh, I didn't bet this game because I think Georgia has been so erratic, and it's hard for me to kind of gauge what the motivation on either side is going to be. Um, so I, I kind of stayed away from it. Um, but uh, but I think I would be inclined. Uh, you know, it's, it's even it, Georgia has just been so erratic. Sometimes when teams are so difficult to pass on a week to week basis, I just stay away from. It. And I watch all their games, and I just say I genuinely have no idea what's going on. And that's the way I felt about Georgia most of the year, and that's the way I still feel about their bowl game. I mean, that can be uh, pretty much how I feel about TCU as well. No strong opinions from me either on this particular game. Should be interesting to watch as we see the intersectional battle between two power conferences. Nebraska, Tennessee, the Music City Bowl. This game has taken on a very different tenor. Of course, surrounding the issues at starting quarterback for the Cornhuskers. Tommy Armstrong officially listed as doubtful. We've seen this number take off. Open three, three and a half. Out to six and a half at Bet Online. Some books still have this game off the board. We've also seen the total come down as well. 58 where that number currently sits. Uh, I guess the first question for you, Clay, you know, Tennessee, even if they win this bowl game, this has to be considered a disappointment uh, given how the Vols finished, especially highlighting by that loss against Vanderbilt in the regular season. Uh, but what will the turnout look like here and what kind of uh, motivation can we expect for the Volunteers in this game? Well, I think it'll be a good turnout because Nashville is kind of a home away from home for Tennessee. Uh, a lot of people want to come spend New Year's in Nashville, so there will be a lot of uh, a lot of Tennessee fans. There always are at the Music Bowl. There will be a lot of uh, discomfort and, uh, and, and support uh, because people are not happy with the way that Tennessee football season finished. I think this game, I think either side. I wish I had played, uh, you know, Tennessee maybe now with the quarterback situation. 
uh, for Nebraska. But even with that, Tennessee's defense has been so much atrocious down the down the stretch that playing them in overs has been a uh, a really good play. And I still think, even with Nebraska uncertain at the quarterback position, that this Tennessee defense has been so atrocious that the over is still the play, even as that number has come down. Um, you know, I, I think Tennessee offensively with Josh Jobs is going to score points and his valedictory as he rides off into the sunset after four years of playing quarterback at Tennessee. And, uh, and I still think the Tennessee defense is, is questionable. I think they'll give up points. So I like, uh, I like the over in this game uh, more than I like anything else. Payne, you think, you think Riker Fife can have a little bit of success moving the football, assuming he will be the man under center uh, for Mike Riley's Cornhuskers? I'm not sure Riker Fife's mother would bet him in this spot. Uh, <laughs> his his one start this year was against Maryland. We know their their defensive woes. This is going to be a little bit different. Um, and I think you know we we laid a little four here, trying to get out ahead of that information. Um, Kirkland Jr., I know he played the last few games of the season, but he was a shell of himself. His ankle now looks to be 100% healthy, so I think that's a big addition. The other thing is the Vols get their starting center back, um, and Dylan Westman, I think that's huge. In addition to the Tommy Armstrong Jr. injury uh, at quarterback, Nebraska loses their defensive quarterback. Nate Gary is a huge loss. He's the heart and soul of that Nebraska defense, so I think that is a big loss as well. Uh, And when you really talk about Nebraska, I know we've kind of uh, pissed off all of all of uh, Omaha there. And we think they're just extremely overrated. They have been all season. When you talk about the three games, they've stepped up in class, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Nebraska's been outscored 125 to 30 in those games. So I think Tennessee makes a, a, you know, a statement here in a virtual home game. I will say this. It scares me laying six and a half, seven now with that defense at four. It made a little sense. Uh, but this is kind of my coming out party here for Tennessee after they killed me in the Kentucky game. One other you know what is interesting. I would say this Tennessee against the Big Ten in the past two games for Big Stone dominates Iowa and dominated uh, Northwestern. I do think that talent-wise, there's a pretty big gap between Tennessee and, uh, and everybody else. It's massive. Uh, in, in, in this game, Nebraska. Yeah, definitely can't argue that. One other injury, too, to keep in mind uh, that I know you, I don't think you guys mentioned, Jordan Westerkamp, one of uh, Nebraska's top receivers, believe is still going to be shelved for this particular football game as well as he deals with some knee surgery and whatnot. So Nebraska could be down a quarterback, one of their primary weapons. It should be. Interesting to see if Tennessee gets out to a lead, if Nebraska can play from behind. Uh, and last but not least, at one of those second-tier bowl games between the Big Ten and the SEC, Iowa and Florida in the Gator Bowl. Uh, we've seen Iowa struggle to slow down teams that have athletes. Florida has them in bunches. Uh, I know the Gators were absolutely embarrassed last year by a Big Ten foe in the dismantling against Michigan. We've seen some money come in on the Gators. This number out to Florida, minus three. You do have to lay a dollar twenty at Bet Online. Payne, you know my feelings when it comes to totals that are in the low 40s in the postseason. I don't care what defenses are out there. It could be Alabama uh, against the elite-level NFL defense. 40.5 is a low, low number that allows you very little wiggle room to go under. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think the big thing here is, uh, you know, Austin Appleby is going to get the start, but Del Rio is going to kind of be the reliever here, and I think they probably go to him pretty quickly. Uh, I made the game four open two. I thought that was probably a little bit of a bad number here. Uh, McElwain needs this game like absolute blood. I think they do enough to get the win. 
I think Iowa's being a little bit overvalued here because of that big home win against Michigan. I just don't see it. There's not a ton of talent here. Uh, so I think Florida makes some sense. I made it four, as I alluded to. I think that's probably where this one's going to close. Clay, Iowa, Florida. Florida, for the second straight year, feels like they limped to the finish with so many injuries, depth concern. Uh, Payne mentioned some of the uncertainty of quarterback and guys, both guys taking reps. Uh, I know you followed Florida probably as closely as any team in the SEC. What should we expect from the Gators here? I'm playing the under, and I know 40 and a half is a low number, <laughs> and it terrifies you. But I, I just, I, Florida's offensive uh, game plans have been atrocious, and defensively they've been pretty outstanding. Um, but uh, but I don't think they can score 20 points uh, in this game. Now they might score defensively, and that's always the nerve wracking thing when you take a number so low is that. You get a defensive score, you get a punt return touchdown, just something like that kind of gets the number hated. But otherwise, I think both teams are going to run the ball a lot. I think that Florida will take shots down the field with Callaway. Uh, but uh, but unless they hit a couple of deep balls, uh, I, I just don't see a lot of points here. Um, I think Florida wins, but I think they win something like 21 to – I don't even know if it gets 21. I think it will be like 17 to 14. Um, I really do. So, uh, so I like the under here. What uh real quickly on Florida before we get to the games that everybody I think wants to know the most about in the college football playoff? What's the general sentiment about Florida and the current program trajectory under Coach Mack uh, and where they're going? Clearly, you know, his specialty is offense. We saw what he was able to do at Colorado State. He's dealt with a rash of injuries, but do we feel like Florida is that sleeping giant and maybe the program in the East best suited to compete with Nick Saban and some of the SEC West juggernauts year in year out? No, I think most Florida fans would say that. This has basically been a two-year extension of Will Muschamp with the possible exception of a couple of games with Will Greer where the Florida offense looked really good. Uh, so far, McElwain has not been able to get a really good quarterback. The defensive talent has mostly been recruited by Muschamp. And in this new Florida environment where you've got such incredible coaching talent, whether it's Butch Davis, whether it's Lane Kiffin, whether it's Mark Rick, Jimbo Fisher, Scott Frost, Charlie Strong, all those programs in Florida are recruiting now pretty well. And, uh, and I think that there is a lot of trepidation among Florida fans about exactly what the ceiling is to back away and whether he's going to be able to, uh, to ever get it to a level where they feel like they're watching Steve Furrier, Urban Meyer caliber offenses. Remember, it's not just win at Florida. It's win and be entertaining. Uh, of all the SEC programs, there's the most going on in the state of Florida other than their team. And, uh, and so you need to be entertaining. And right now they aren't. Could, could we be talk, uh, talking about a scenario then if, say, McElwain goes 7-5 and five next year or even 6-6, six and six, that Florida does whatever they can to push him out despite back-to-back appearances in the SEC championship game? I think he's going to get pushed out next year. I do think that it's possible that he could start to look elsewhere uh, because he's got a new athletic director in Scott Strickland. Uh, again, if they win um, and, and they look good next year, then everything's uh, fine. You know, In his third year, he's got things rolling. If they win and the defense is still performing like it is, again, they're graduating a lot. A lot of guys leaving early, but I'm not very bullish on Florida right now. Payne, I mean, you as a Florida State guy, I mean, what are what are your thoughts on Florida and the current direction the program's headed? Well, it's interesting because I've been very high on McIlwain. You know, I, I, jokes aside there, I think I watched every Colorado State game because we were betting them his final season there. And I thought he'd be able to go there and help the offense. And maybe Clay can, you know, touch on this once again. He said he didn't really like the game plan. So, 
you know, you have to question, is that McIlwain? Because I do think as an offensive mind, he's fantastic. Or is it what he has, you know, at quarterback being extremely limited? He needs to get a quarterback in there. I know he's got two young kids waiting in the wing. Not sure why, you know, in a season like this, he potentially didn't go, you know, to them earlier. I know when you're talking SEC championship, you probably go with the more experienced guy. Uh, but when you look to the future, probably one of those guys make the best sense. He's got a five-star kid in the wing, a four-star kid in the wing, and I know he's got another kid potentially coming in uh, from St. Thomas that I've been told is fantastic. So if he can get a quarterback in there, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with the offense. From a team that's struggling for an identity to four teams who know exactly what they are going into the two and three biggest games in the college football season, Let's start with the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, where Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide are overwhelming favorites against the Washington Huskies. We, of course, have seen a lot of line movement on this particular game, number ping-ponging as high as 17, prices opening below the key number of 14 at some books here in town. For argument's sake and where the market currently sits, we'll call Alabama a 14-point favorite at bet online right now. Total on this game, 54. Nick Saban, despite winning five national championships, has only had one undefeated season. The man opposing him on the opposite sidelines. This is the reason he made the transition from Boise State and mid-major football to Washington. Chris Peterson, you look at what Peterson has done with rest and additional time to prepare in his career. A record of 21-4 and straight up. In those 25 games, he's been an underdog six times. 6-0 and against the spread. Has not lost a game by more than eight points. But playing against Alabama is a little bit of a different animal. I think I know where Clay is going to go with this game. So, Payne, we'll start with you and your initial thoughts on professional money uh, and how you see this number getting set. Uh, and more importantly, what you guys made this price and how this game may be won or lost. Yeah, bet online open 13 and a half. And I know a few important Vegas books went to market under 14 as well. We saw early sharp money on Bama, uh, but for two entirely different reasons. There was one group that truly liked that position laying under two touchdowns. Uh, the second we knew, uh, you know, the market would go. Uh, the second group said, hey, we're going to get down a little bit on this, push it as far as possible, and their goal was to achieve getting 17 on Washington. They were able to do that. They took 17 on Washington. The math guys here are likely going to have a spread 10, 10 and a half, 11. Uh, so there's going to be a difference in opinion from professional bettors. Uh, I'll say this. There's games where you need to dig in and find elements that are overlooked and you know find things 10 levels under the surface to uncover an edge. This game, not so much. It's very simple. Which Jake Browning shows up to the Peach Bowl? This is a familiar environment for Bama. This is about as fast as a track as you're going to see in college football. Browning is an accurate quarterback, but when he's not comfortable in the pocket, he's not very good. He has to be set. He's got to get the ball out quick. And what we've seen this season is there's serious question marks with his arm talent. When he's faced a team with caliber, you know, with athletes the caliber of Bama, you know, he lost on his home field 26-13 to, to USC team. That kind of forced him into throws. He completed 47% of his passes, had two interceptions in that game. Browning's arm strength right now is a huge question mark, and I think a lot of people will look at the Pac-12 championship game and see 41-10 and say, oh, you know, they're back. They really just hid, hid Browning in that game. I know he's 9 for 24, completed 37% of his passes. It was painful to watch him play. Colorado probably should have had two pick sixes. On the opposite end of that spectrum, though, Bama's secondary, I think, is a huge question mark here. And once Eddie Jackson went down, we thought that could be a huge problem. Many don't believe that's the case because in the last five games he's been out, you know, they've done pretty well. But you look who they faced, LSU, Mississippi, 
State, Chattanooga, Auburn without Sean White, a Florida team with a Purdue transfer. Nobody's been able to test that secondary in five games since Eddie Jackson's been out. I think Washington's wide receivers can if Browning shows up confident. You mentioned Browning, his performance in the conference championship game, 9 of 24. His longest touchdown pass was a ball that he probably meant to throw away. Joe (laughs) Ross climbs the ladder, picks it up, and does a a lot of nifty running himself for that 30-plus yard touchdown reception. Clay, I I know you're of a different mindset here when you talk about Alabama. You're ready to build a shrine to Nick Saban in your front yard there in Nashville. Uh, How do you see this matchup playing out? I think it's pretty simple. Nick Saban doesn't lose to pro-style quarterbacks. And I think it's especially not going to be the case this year. When you look at what Alabama's defense does differently this year than it has in past years, they get to the quarterback. And I just don't see a way that Jake Browning is going to be able to be productive at all. Um, I think Alabama can get there with their front four. I think Jonathan Allen may put him in the hospital. I mean, I, I just I think you have to be a mobile quarterback in order to beat Nick Saban. I think you go back and look. Now, obviously, 14 points is different. Beating um, the Nick Saban, but I think that Alabama will bludgeon Washington. Now, if I were trying to set out a possibility of why I think Alabama could lose, it would be Jalen Hurts. I mean, you know, uh, again, Jalen Hurts. First of all, in order for Alabama to, to lose, then Jake Browning would have to be incredible, right? You look at the quarterbacks who have beaten Nick Saban; most of them have been transcendent talents that have played at or near the peak of their abilities in those games. Whether it's Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, Cam Newton even Trevor Knight in that Sugar Bowl game a few years ago. The guys who beat them, uh, and Bo Wallace even, or uh, or uh, uh, my guy Chad Kelly, all of them have played well. And here's the other thing they are, pretty mobile. And I don't think that uh, Jake Browning is going to have the ability to get outside the pocket, extend plays, and, and, and make the Alabama sort of secondary fall apart uh, in, in, in rapid fashion. If Washington has success, I think it will be over Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts has turned the ball over consistently. He hasn't really proven that he can throw the ball down the field, even though he's got great talent, Ardarius Stewart, Eric Dieter, Alvin Ridley, and O.J. Howard at tight end. All those guys are big-time playmakers that will have NFL future. If Jalen Hurts turns the ball over, that's how Washington keeps it close. But if he doesn't turn the ball over, but Alabama's defense has been able to score on, I think they could put this game away early because it's going to be a virtual home game inside that dome. I think Washington has to weather the early storm. If they don't, it's not going to be close. Clay, one thing that one, one thing that concerns me about that breakdown, you put Trevor Knight and Bo Wallace into the category of transcendent quarterback talent. So I'm a little bit concerned about that, but you're exactly right when you talk about mobility and what Jake Browning is going to do. It'll be very interesting to see how Chris Peterson approaches this game to keep his team loose. Uh, we know the Cinderella stories that they've pulled off before. There's a reason that Washington is an overwhelming underdog. Really nothing to lose in this particular game. If you had the foresight to bet Washington before the season, they were the one long shot value on the betting board. You could have had them upwards of 75 to 1. One thing to keep in mind when we look at the schedule these teams have played, I know the committee was initially very critical of Washington. Alabama, they've played 10 bowl teams this year, obviously 10-0 straight up. They've gone 8-2 and two against the number in those 10 games. They've won the box score in all 10 of those contests with a yardage advantage of plus 247. Washington, on the other hand, only six bowl teams combined winning percentage of their opponents, under 50% at 475. 4-2 against the spread, plus 109 in yardage but again you kind of throw some of those metrics out the window uh home game for alabama as you mentioned clay fast track there which could play in a washington special teams and you look at those talented receivers browning needs to get the ball to them in space 
and try and get Miles Gaskin at least to force Alabama to respect the run. One last thing on this campaign, do we think 14 is as low as this number goes, or will there be enough professional money maybe to push it down to 13 and a half again? I'll tell you this. I'm I, I'm not going to be on Washington, uh, so I, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Uh, for me, if it got to say twelve and a half, would be intrigued potentially laying Bama here. Uh, I don't think it gets that low. I think we're probably going to see probably pretty good two way action at the current number. Maybe it drops just a tick to thirteen and a half. Uh, but for me, this is definitely be a game where I kind of just wait and see. Um, I, I don't have anything on it yet. From the early afternoon game to the nightcap uh, of two college football blue blood programs at Ohio State and Clemson, you're looking at Ohio State, a three and a half point favorite at Bet Online, one of the only three and a halfs out there as we record this podcast on Wednesday, December 28th. It is even. Total in this game, 58 and a half. You've seen some under money come in. We've talked at great lengths about the erratic level of play prone to the Buckeyes offense. I think the same can be said about Clemson on the defensive side. Uh, They've given up 30 points with alarming regularity, more so than what they did a season ago when they came up just one game short of winning college football's greatest prize. So, Clay, I'll start with you here. Uh, A lot of folks in the media have said they're surprised that Clemson sees themselves installed as a three-point underdog. This is a Tigers team where whether it's Deshaun Watson saying he's the best player in college football or some of their defensive players calling out JT Barrett, does that serve as motivation enough for Urban Meyer, uh, especially with Meyer's track record 10-2 against the spread his last 12 bowl games? Yeah, you know, Urban Meyer with time to prepare has been a great uh, guy to bet on, except when he played against Dabo a couple of years ago, right? Um, and what happened, I think, down in the Orange Bowl. So, to me, this game comes down. The, the reason why, first of all, I'm betting the over. Uh, so that's my play in this game. The, the question that I have that I can't answer is, what's up with the whole thing? Why has, uh, I, I believe in Clemson's offense, okay? I think Clemson's going to score some points on Ohio State. That's the only side of the ball that I really, really feel confident about in this game. I don't know what's up with J.C. Barrett. I don't know what's happened with his ability to throw the ball down the field. I don't know how explosive I think this Ohio State offense is. Really, was uh, kind of it down the stretch. I think that we've seen uh, the wheels come off a little bit. So I'm unclear about exactly what to expect in the game. I also, in conjunction with not knowing what to expect from uh, from Ohio State, really on the offensive or the defensive side of the ball, I don't know what to expect from this Clemson defense. And so that's why I feel like Ohio State's going to score points. And I feel like Clemson's going to score points. I'm not even going to worry about who's going to win. I'm just going to over. It's a ridiculous position that I've got to bet in the over. Um, I had to pick a side. I'd probably, if I could get Clemson plus three and a half, I would like that. But I haven't bet that. I just the over. See, Clay, the good thing the good thing is when you come on bet the board, you don't have to pick a side. You can break down the game and uh, not be married to a particular selection side or total. We won't hold your feet Same to the thing. fire there. We'll make Payne do some of the heavy lifting to <laughs> provide a, a further analysis in this one. Payne, when you watch both of these teams this season, what really jumps off the page at you? Uh, Clemson's A game. I think it's the second best A game in college football this season. They have another gear. We saw that somewhat down the stretch. Uh, you guys alluded to what Urban Meyer can do with added prep time, one of the best in the business. Uh, I know what all the Clemson defensive metrics look like, but man, my, my eyes wish they hadn't seen the Louisville and FSU games. Uh, Louisville goes for five yards of rush attempt, a combination of Delvin Cook and Freddie Stevenson combined for 210 yards on the ground on 21 total carries. 
something just feels off here. I didn't run to take the three and a half when I had a chance, and that's saying something because I made this game a pick'em. So this just feels like a very odd space here. You, you get the public dog again in prime time. I'm just not running to take Clemson here. Something feels off. Well, when we look at this game, guys, and I don't want to spend a ton of time trying to unpack it since it doesn't sound like any of us have a real strong sentiment. Payne, I made the game slightly high. I mean, I made Ohio State a one-point favorite, so much like you, though, I didn't want to take the dog. Something kind of rubbed me the wrong way here. Clemson probably the only – I shouldn't say the only, but the best chance of Washington Ohio, and Ohio State – to knock off Alabama if we talk about a potential title game rematch? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, you'll have the revenge angle in that game, but quarterbacks. Quarterbacks mask so many issues, and as Clay alluded to, if you can have a multi-dimension quarterback against that Bama defense, it really gives you an edge. I think Clemson feels like they probably should have won that game a season ago. I One thing I look at with Clemson is... For whatever reason, their weapons outside and even Gullman at running back, they seem to play when they feel like it. We saw another level from them in big games like the Louisville game. Other games, they don't really show up. But once they're tested, they really rise to the next level. And I really like Clemson's playmakers there. Uh, and I think against a secondary like Alabama that has serious concerns right now with Eddie Jackson out, uh, Clemson could really present some issues. Clay, betting angles aside, which is the national championship matchup you'd like to see most? Uh, I'd like to see Alabama against Ohio State. I think Urban Meyer against uh, against Nick Saban is a lot more interesting side than seeing a rematch of what was a good game. But I think we saw last year it's a regional game. It's a game that uh, that doesn't really bring in the nation. I think that Urban Meyer against Ohio State is the best possible matchup. Drawing in a big audience, I want to see. I think we'll see, Steam play. Uh, but uh, but I think it's a substantial difference. God forbid, ESPN uh, it would be big suicide. I think probably their executives, if you told them right now, okay, you got Washington and Clemson in the title game, um, <laughs> that would uh, that would terrify them for no doubt. Yeah, I can't imagine that is what the casual college football fan would like to see when we ultimately crown a national champion uh, on Monday, January 9th down there at Tampa. Gentlemen, uh, thanks for the time, Clay. Appreciate uh, you jumping on with us to break down all the college football bowl games and your quest for 60%, which we claim is the gold standard in this business if you can complete a, uh, a full season, especially given your volume of wagers uh, when the college football season gets put to bed about 10 days from now or so. Fingers crossed, guys. We'll see how I go. I got 13 more picks to finish off here in college football. Have a happy and healthy New Year, Clay. Thanks again for jumping on. And for folks who want to follow Clay on Twitter, you can do so at Clay Travis. Of course, you can listen to his national radio show, 6 to 9 Eastern, on Fox Sports affiliates across this country. Uh, and naturally, you can check out his Periscope show, OutkickToCoverage.com, his website. Uh, Clay breaks it down like nobody else when we talk about college football. Payne, uh, our, our heavy lifting not quite done. We have plenty of NFL stuff on the horizon. Our Week 17 podcast will be available on Thursday, December 29th. Playoff schedule for us probably every Thursday here on out as we try and finish what we started on the professional football front uh, with a flourish. Uh, but any final words of wisdom for our loyal listeners who aren't used to hearing us delve into the amateur ranks? I'm shocked. Let us know. People really didn't listen to the last podcast because we broke down the schedule. We said Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday based on our vodka consumption uh, for the holidays would be the bowl podcast. And then Thursday, our regular recording time. So uh, we will be back tomorrow with NFL Week 17. A lot of question marks there. Who's playing? Who's not? Uh, so one that you're definitely going to want to listen to.
Yeah, well, we love our listeners. We know they're not always the best listeners. I think they just fast forward to try and hear if we have a best bet uh, on any of the particular games at current junctures. But for Pain Insider, follow him on Twitter at Pain Insider. Clay Travis, our special celebrity guest at Clay Travis on social media. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there as well. BetTheBoardPodcast.com, the website, at BetTheBoardPod on Twitter. Check out your gambling swag. Nothing better than wearing Bet the Board gear to your New Year's party this holiday season. Best of luck for all those bull bets. Of course, as Peyton mentioned, we'll be back with NFL breakdowns here until they crown a Super Bowl champion in Houston. In the meantime, hopefully we'll see you at the window. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.